The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to present this man. I'm here with Seth Godin. He's no stranger to so many of you. He's first and foremost a teacher. He's an entrepreneur, a great communicator, the author of 20 worldwide best-selling books in 36 languages. The latest is called The Practiced, Shipping Creative Work. Seth's blog is one of the most popular in the entire world. It reaches multitudes. There are 7,000 posts and counting. There's also Akimbo, a weekly podcast from Seth Godin. It's one of the top podcasts out there. It's also learning, but I also consider it like spoken art. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about one of the greatest artists ever, singer, songwriter, Bob Dylan. Dylan is turning 80 years old, and he'll be our topic of conversation Seth Godin, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great honor. Well, thank you for showing up and showing up and showing up for so many episodes for so long with some of my heroes. It's generous work, and you probably don't get thanked enough for it, so I'm saying thank you. That warms my heart. Bless you. So what can a business person, a writer, a creator, an artist, which, I mean, that could be a photographer, a chef, what can they learn from Bob Dylan? So my friend Brian Koppelman, who makes the TV show Billions, argues with me about this every time I see him. Uh, He's not going to change my mind. The biggest thing you can learn from Bob Dylan is that Bob Dylan isn't special. Bob Dylan is not a genius. Bob Dylan was not touched by some magic muse with a noodly appendage. Bob Dylan simply decided to be Bob Dylan. And that is work that's available to so many of us in so many different fields. What an intriguing premise, I have to say. It reminds me of something. I I was reading an article about Dylan, and his manager said something like, whatever you do, don't call him a genius, please. (laughs) So maybe you could tell us about your personal connection with Bob Dylan, because uh, or your your fondness for Bob Dylan. People who follow the blog or like I was just walking around listening to the podcast last night, there that name comes up, Bob Dylan again. What is the story for you? Yeah, it's funny because I think about it now that you say it. I do bring him up way more than so many other artists who I listen to way more often than I listen to Bob. Hmm. I'm remembering standing on uh, the Canoe Dock up in Algonquin Park, Canada, north of Toronto in 1978, dancing with three friends to Slow Train Coming. But there was plenty of other music that I was dancing to in that summer as well. I think I pick him for the same reason people pick Apple, 
when they're giving an example of a company because it's the ne plus ultra. It's the one that is singular in its uniqueness, if I could say that word incorrectly, that it there's no discussion. People say, well, Dylan's not a genius because I can just pick him and everyone knows what I mean. They get the shorthand behind it. I've seen him in concert a bunch of times, been disappointed most of the times. He lives in a bus, which most people who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars don't. So he's got a lot of extraordinary bits of quirkiness to him. And so it makes it a useful example. Hmm. Well, I'm curious now because you said that there were these other artists. I remember certain names you would mention in your books, Rosanna Cash, Patricia Barber. Who does Seth Godin sing to in the shower? <laughs> ah, in the shower. The truth is I sing summer camp songs in the shower because they're the only ones that match my limited, limited range. But I have a really nice stereo at home. I listen to music instead of watching television. A lot of piano jazz is in the rotation all the way back to, you know, the Dave Brubecks of the world, all the way forward to Brad Meldow. I listen to a lot of blues. I listen to Ricky Lee Jones. I like female vocalists. But I'm mostly focused on music that sounds like music that a human made. You're not spending a lot of time listening to Devo, though on occasion I will. <laughs> well, from a branding and a marketing standpoint, there seems to be like you you were mentioning the bus. Here's this guy, he's got all this all this money. He doesn't behave like your typical celebrity does. What can somebody what do you think the mystique has played in his success? Right. So if we look at Dylan's interaction with the press, starting in 1963, all the way up to his autobiography, he took intentional steps. Like he's, His autobiography is just not true. And he says things in articles that diametrically oppose things he just said in articles. He is an unreliable narrator of his journey. If we look at the choices he makes about what material to play and who to play it with, it's intentionally quirky. There's a choice to make, to be singular, to say, I know what will get me on the top 40, but I am deliberately not going to do that. And interesting music trivia, Bob Dylan had his biggest hit in terms of chopping, topping the charts last year. Yeah. And that's because all his fans streamed it all at once. And so the goal is the smallest viable audience. Dylan never, ever had an audience as big as even Van Morrison. That's not the goal. The goal is to find a group of people who you can connect, who you can organize, who you can weave into a tribe and be a narrator for them. And, you know, the last time I saw him in concert at the Beacon in New York City, the two people next to me were acting like they were at a hockey game, the way they were cheering. And I'm not sure Bob wants that part of it to come, but I think he made the decision a long time ago, just like Jerry Garcia did, to say, this is a long, strange trip. It's not for everybody. And I'm going to deliberately take this path. Not because it's the right path or a wrong path. It's simply a path. And so he's got a compass, and that's what he's doing. Something that I thought was 
if you hired a marketer and, and you're Bob Dylan, which I don't think he would ever do that, but <laughs> you know, when he, when he, he's always making a left turn when you think he's going to make a right, you know, he did these three albums of mostly Frank Sinatra tunes, which a lot of people thought really, Hmm, that's mm. interesting. What do you think about that from, from a marketing standpoint? Well, I think there's no doubt in my mind that he has hired marketers you know the the whiskey brand the the painting brand the way certain things are packaged i know the guy who works with him at at the record label and did the the big box set and the bigger box set and things like that the choices of what you make musically after you win a nobel prize are pretty wide open you can make whatever quote you want but once you inhabit a brand long enough, it becomes who you are. And um, a friend of mine, Jimmy, got invited by his girlfriend in 1960-something to go to her house for Thanksgiving. And they get to this house, it, her sister's house. And they get to the sister's house. It's a big pink house in upstate New York. And it was, in fact, that house. And it was Thanksgiving dinner with Bob and the band. And hearing Jimmy relate the story that when he's sitting there at dinner with family, he's not the Bob Dylan that's on stage. That's a choice. And it's also a choice to decide to work with a band in New Orleans or not. And so I guess where I'm coming at this, not as the world's biggest music fan, but as somebody who sees marketing and culture, is to say, you can do exactly the same thing if you're a gardener. You can do exactly the same thing if you want to be a juggler. You can do the same thing if you're Penn and Teller. Oh, that's right. Penn and Teller did exactly the same thing. That we play a role and authenticity is overrated. What fans, what communities look for is consistency. And that's been the key is that when Bob is in public, he is consistently Bob. Hmm. What do you think people will say about Bob Dylan a hundred years from now? Well, it's interesting to note that people will definitely be saying something about Bob Dylan a hundred years from now. I don't think they'll be talking about the monkeys <laughs> and I don't think even they'll be talking about Taylor Swift because again, where we started, he made this choice. When we look at various epochs in music, what we tend to do is pick out a vanguard for it, right? That's Beethoven's shtick and that's Bach's shtick. And so there was a period of time sitting right next to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles that there was Dylan. And, you know, more people might listen to Fila Kuti. More people definitely listen to Fila Kuti. But Dylan in our small bubble of white Western culture was an avatar for a certain arc of how one person with a guitar could tell stories for 50 years. Something that you say in the practice, I really like this. You said, art is something we get to do for other people. Such a, a simple but profound statement. And um, I saw Bob Dylan one time at the James Brown Amphitheater. And there was a guy from Sweden who he flew over there on a whim to see him. There's not many artists that, you know, or that people I think would do that for, but I'm hoping you can tell us, do, do you think, do you think that Bob, is this something that he does for other people or do you think he does this for himself? 
It's so complicated. You know, I think when he first played at Newport, the feeling having, you know, gigged it in Greenwich Village and stuff, you definitely need some level of acceptance. You want, as a performer, people to perform for. And then when you go back and the community turns its back on you because you play electric, at some point, maybe you decide that the best way to make art for other people is to stop making art for other people. Hmm. And I think that's what happened. This is a question that came in from quite a number of people. I know there's a lot of people who listen to this show or watch this show. They're artists themselves. They work for a publicity boutique for artists. I could go on and on. But for small businesses, for independent artists out there with not a lot of budget, what are some of the best ways to get in front of people? Right. I love this question because I hate this question. <laughs> it's the wrong question. Okay. The question is, how do you make art that your fans will tell other people about? So I'm pretty sure I didn't hear about Bob Dylan from the radio. I'm pretty sure I heard about Bob Dylan from Left Eye or from somebody else, right? That people decided that their lives would be better if they told other people about Dylan. They decided that if they played Blowing in the Wind around the campfire, their life would be better. That The dead is an even better example, right? Warner Brothers did nothing to help the dead. They fought the dead every step of the way. And yet, 10 years out of 15, 10, the dead were the number one grossing live act in North America, even though almost no one went because the people who went went a lot and they brought their friends. And, you know, having seen him the last time he sold out the Beacon, it's not a concert that's easy to love. And yet, the people who were there brought their friends. So if you're working with an artist, you just got to have the honest conversation, which is after this show tonight, how many people are going to come back tomorrow? Like one of the only true things that I want to share from his autobiography is the meeting he had with his promoter after the motorcycle accident. And he said, here's what I want to do. I want you to book me three years in a row in all these towns. And the promoter said, that's crazy. You go to new towns all the time. That's how you build a base. He said, no, I want to go to the same towns three years in a row. Why? Because the first year, they'll boo me off stage. And then the second year, a few of them will come back. But the third year, they'll bring their friends. And that's how you build an audience. Fascinating. You know, Bob, in addition to his many, many albums, he does this bootleg series, what a lot of people would consider scrap, you know, rarities, demos, those kinds of things. What do you think marketers can learn from that? Well, we're back to the smallest viable audience and then the idea of status rules, which I write about in This Is Marketing. So the idea is simple. We want one of two things at all times. Who do we fit in with? Who are we next to? Or who are we better than or who's better than us? So if you're in the Dylan circle, in the Dylan tribe, you got to have all the 50 albums. But if you want to move up, you've got the obscure stuff. If you want to move up, you've heard that concert nobody else had. You have the original vinyl of the Brandeis concert because your status goes up. So we don't have a shortage of music in our world. But we do have a shortage of connection and affiliation, and we have a shortage of status. And the brilliant marketers who have brought 
the bootleg series, Greg, and the others to the world understand that some people are eager to pay $300 for something almost nobody else has. Do you have a favorite Bob Dylan song? I got a whole bunch of favorite Bob Dylan songs. So the Desire album, I used to know by heart. There are a few tracks, amazingly to say, on Slow Train Coming that I know by heart. But for me, the stuff that really works was when he was actually understandable in narrating things like Tangled Up in Blue, just taking us through a narrative, you know, that we can visualize at a moment's notice. There are very few poets with music or without music who can summon something like that. The stuff that's the least interesting to me is too many guitars and too many mumblings, which is just a memory of a time and place, but I don't view it at the same level as the other stuff. Well, everybody out there, it's SethGodin.com. Do check out this podcast, Akimbo. You'll really enjoy that. And then also Seth.blog. Thank you so much for this. It's really a thrill to see you there and be with you. Well, the pleasure is mine, and I'm really glad you didn't ask me to sing anything. You're sure you don't want to sing? I'm sure. Maybe next time. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Seth. making a ruckus. We'll see you. See you next time. Goodbye.